Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer, Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Curtis Herbstreet is on the phone. The Air Sports Podcast. It is Wednesday, August 24th, 2022. People, I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day. Uh, and happy to report we are back on schedule with the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. No show Monday. College football betting show on Tuesday. We are back to a normal episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Here is what you need to know about today's show. Because guess what, people? It is game week. And this is what I want to do. I want to open the show by doing this. I want to start by talking about the big picture of college football. Because I believe as we get set for week zero this weekend... There are only five teams that can win the college football playoff. Friday, I will do my national championship picks, playoff preview, all that stuff. But I believe there are only five teams that can actually win the national championship this year. There are others that can make the playoff. And of these five, some of them could certainly miss the playoff. But I believe there are only five teams. I'm going to tell you who they are and who isn't in that conversation. From there, we will go to a very bizarre story on Monday where Oregon may have met with the Big Ten, but may have not, and there was weird who was there, who wasn't, so we're going to talk about that. And then we'll talk a little bit about Quinn Ewers, uh, five-star quarterback named the starter at Texas. Of course, because it's Texas, there's all sorts of drama. Was he really the best guy? Was it possible that boosters got involved? Just a crazy story out of Texas. And then we'll see what happens on time. Depending on time availability, I may touch on one basketball story. Keontae Johnson, uh, former Florida Gator, actually is going to be playing college basketball again at Kansas State. Kind of a wild story. Uh, He is the player who, uh, you know, almost tragically collapsed on the court. Apparently, he has been cleared by doctors. I think it's crazy that he is coming back to play college basketball. If time allows, we will discuss Keontae Johnson. But loaded episode as we are now four days from kickoff of college football on Saturday in week zero. As I keep telling you, just stay tuned. We got some big announcements coming here on the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Cannot wait to share as we get ready for college football this year. With that said, though, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day is, what did I just tell you a second ago? Four days away from college football season. Week zero is here And over the next couple episodes, we're going to be doing a lot of ramp up to the season ahead. As I just told you on Friday, I'll probably make my national championship picks. On Friday, I'll make my college football playoff picks, maybe give you my Heisman Trophy winner. Today, what I want to do, though, is do a 30,000 foot view of who can actually win the national championship in college football. And I believe that we are down to five teams that can actually win it all in college football. And I do think that is a very important distinction, right? Because I think college football, more than any other sport, the number of teams that can actually win it all, as opposed to actually make the playoff, is it, the number who can win it all is probably a little smaller than we give it credit for. The number of teams that can make the playoff is significantly higher. Just think about last year. Think about the fact that since a freaking natty made the college football playoff, but we all saw what happened once they got there. They weren't even close to Alabama, and they would have had to beat Alabama and then beat Georgia on top of it to claim a national title. And so that shows you the gap 
between a team that is good enough to make the college football playoff and a team that is actually good enough to win it all. You could use the same example with Michigan. Incredible historic season for Jim Harbaugh and the, the Wolverines. They get to the playoff. They get destroyed by Georgia. Could they have beaten Georgia? No. But even if they did, could they have come back a week later and beaten Alabama? The answer is obviously no. And so as I said, I do believe that that number of teams that can actually win it all is probably smaller than most people think because, again, you got to get there, then you got to beat two really good teams. You got to beat Alabama and Ohio State back to back, Ohio State and Georgia, Georgia and Clemson, Clemson and Alabama, whoever it is. So, who are those five teams that are actually suited to win it all? Let's get to my five teams that I believe can win it all. And let's start with number one. I don't think it's going to be very much of a surprise, but it is the Alabama Crimson Tide. And I've talked so much about Alabama this fall into the lead up to the season. I guess it's the summer in the lead up to the fall. I'm not going to go through position by position, player for player, why I love Alabama. But what I would say is, not only is Alabama always a contender in this conversation, always on the short list, one, two, uh, in a worst case scenario, maybe three. But as I've said many times, one, they got a ton of returning talent. And two, they are genuinely returning with a chip on their shoulder where they were really right in the thick of things to win a national championship during what Nick Saban called a rebuilding year and what I agree was a rebuilding year for Alabama. So Alabama's always good. Now they have a chip on their shoulder. And I just think it is go time in Tuscaloosa. Now, why do I like Alabama so much? Again, I've told you so much about them. You've heard about them on every college football radio show, podcast, TV show that you watch. This team's just loaded. I think offensively, they were really good last year. I mean, Bryce Young won the freaking Heisman Trophy, for Pete's sakes. And I think they have a chance to be better than they were a year ago. Again, it goes back to what Nick Saban said. They were not... Uh, they had real question marks at various points last year. I talked about it on this show. I said it wasn't a vintage Alabama team. They were really close. Well, look at who they bring back on offense. Obviously, you don't need me to tell you, Bryce Young, reigning Heisman Trophy winner, 47 touchdown passes and seven interceptions. Oh, by the way, more than a quarter of those interceptions came in the national championship game against Georgia. So you're talking about through the first whatever it would be, 14 starts of his career, this guy, 46 touchdowns, five interceptions, very deserving of the Heisman Trophy. But what would scare me about Alabama is this. I think you can legitimately argue the offense has a chance to be better and more balanced than it was last year. Last year, you kind of had a straight-ahead runner at, at, at running back named Brian Robinson. Great four-year player. It's no disrespect to him. But now you add Jameer Gibbs, the transfer from Georgia Tech. I've talked a ton about him. Super dynamic, can catch the ball out of the backfield, can run between the tackles five yards per carry without nearly the offensive line, nearly the weapons that he will have at Alabama. This kid is, you know, I don't think he's a dark horse Heisman contender, but I have seen some make the argument. On top of that, listen, there's no replacing Jamison Williams, first round pick, probably would have been the number one wide receiver off the board if he hadn't gotten hurt in the title game. But Jermaine Burton transferred from Georgia. I've said it many times. Mel Kuyper has him listed as a first-round pick next year. Tyler Harrell, a difference maker at the wide receiver position from a speed perspective, transfer from Louisville. Guy that's just a straight burner. So you add those two. You add Jameer Gibbs. And I do think on the offensive line, this team is going to be better than they were last year just because, point blank, they can't be worse. Last year, Doug Marone was in as the offensive line coach. It was a disaster. All you need to know is that Doug Marone is not back this year, um, and you don't leave Alabama as an assistant unless you are leaving for a head coaching job or you're leaving for some sweet uh, upgrade at the assistant coaching level if uh, another coach takes a job. Well, nobody off Alabama's staff got a job last year, head coaching job that I know of, which means that Doug Marone, Nick Saban found him a nice landing spot so that he could get rid of him without having to fire him. And so I do think coming into this year, we're looking at a situation where that offensive line should be better. By the way, I didn't even mention it, but it is worth noting. This, this staff is coming back with more continuity than ever before. Nick Saban is used to replacing not only one of his coordinators pretty much every year, but that coordinator getting a big-time head coaching job and taking a bunch of assistance with him. Last year, it was Steve Sarkeesian going to Texas. One year, it was Kirby Smart going to Georgia. One year, it was Lane Kiffin going to FAU, which became Ole Miss. One year, it was Mike Loxley leaving. So you go on and on down the list. 
This is the most staff continuity that they have had in a while. And I would also add, that defense is was better than you remember it last year and has a chance to be one of the better Saban defenses of all time. First off, I don't think pe- I think we got so caught up in the Georgia mystique last year about their defense. You know who finished in the top 10 nationally in total defense? Alabama. They were awesome all year long against that schedule that they played at AM, Florida at home, LSU, Arkansas, Ole Miss. They were awesome on defense. They just weren't Georgia. And so now they bring back eight starters off that team, including Will Anderson. So, you know, I don't even know how to describe his numbers last year. Madden, comic book, whatever you want to call them. But this was a guy that led the nation, 33 and a half total tackles for loss, 17 and a half sacks, led the nation in both categories. Dallas Turner is back along the defensive line. No doubt they are the best one-two punch in terms of pass rushes. Henry Toto back at linebacker, 100-plus tackles last year. He is projected by Mel Kuyper as a first-round pick. And then the defensive backfield is stacked as well. Eli Ricks, a transfer from LSU, added in with all the guys they had last year, including Jordan Battle. Both of those guys I just mentioned. Surprise, surprise, first-round picks according to Mel Kuyper. And so when I look at this Alabama team, this is the scary, you know, Nick Saban kind of taking the beakers in the lab. You know, those beakers used to have in chemistry class. I wasn't good. I wasn't smart enough to to take chemistry, but I'm saying hypothetically speaking, if I was, you know, those beakers, you mix this with this and you see what happens. Well, think about this. Alabama has been recruiting at an elite level for many years. They really were so young last year that they didn't lose very much in the NFL draft. Now Nick Saban gets to go in the portal and plug holes with transfers and established players. Ooh, buddy, that is a scary, scary thought. Alabama, by far, I think to me, the absolute favorite in terms of teams to win it all this year. Let's keep it going, number two. And what I would say is, number two is Ohio State. And I'm not breaking any news there. Ohio State, number two in the coaches poll and the AP poll. And I do think there's kind of this perception that Alabama and Ohio State, and then it's everybody else, I I don't know that I necessarily agree with that. I think it's Alabama clearly number one. I do think Ohio State's number two. And then I think the gap between two and three is probably bigger than the gap between one Alabama and two Ohio State. So if you don't like Alabama, good luck rooting against that team this year. I don't see any losses on their regular season schedule. But to get back to Ohio State, listen, there is a lot of reason for optimism. I mean, last year, and we're going to talk about this, you know, with one of the other teams in this group. But Ohio State had a quote-unquote down year last year, 11 wins, go to the Rose Bowl, beat Utah in the Rose Bowl, and now they bring back maybe the number one pick in next year's NFL draft, C.J. Stroud at quarterback. I'm not an expert on NFL draft stuff, but people are saying that he has surpassed Bryce Young as the best prospect in college football, and I'm not here to tell you that you're wrong. 44 touchdowns, six interceptions, and I think when you talk about college football, when you talk about triplets, that, wide, that quarterback, running back, wide receiver. I don't know that there's even a doubt that Ohio State has the best or certainly at least the most established. Now, maybe Alabama gets there with Jameer, Jameer Gibbs and Jermaine Burton along Bryce Young. But in terms of going into the season, C.J. Stroud, 44 touchdowns, six interceptions. Travion Henderson, the running back last year that as a freshman was kind of messing with all of Maurice Claret's records at Ohio State. Remember how great Maurice Claret was in 2002? Well, Travion Henderson, 1,200 yards, 15 touchdowns. I know it's a different world in Big Ten country, different offenses, but that is incredible. And then Jackson Smith and Jigba. If you listened to my Heisman preview a few days ago on the Aaron Torres pod, you know how I feel about this guy. 95 catches, 1,600 yards, nine touchdowns. The crazy thing I keep coming back to with Jackson Smith and Jigba. This is a guy that was playing alongside two top 15 or so picks in last year's NFL draft. Garrett Wilson, who went to the Jets. Chris Olave, who went to the New Orleans Saints. Those two guys, when asked who was the best player in that receiver room, they both did not hesitate saying Jackson Smith and Jigba. And so I look at this team, I just see so much talent on that offensive side of the ball. We saw in the Rose Bowl, the young skill position guys are ready to step up. Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Abuka. But what I would also say about Ohio State They have maybe one of the biggest question marks out of all these teams that I do think is a contender, and that's what's going to happen with this defense. And I think right now it's kind of cliche to say, oh, you know, Ohio State was really bad on defense last year. Can they turn around? I think people are missing the point. They've been just okay. I don't think they were really bad last year, but they've been just okay on defense really for two years now. 
ranked 59th nationally in total offense last year, or total defense last year, 60th the year before. So it is really a two-year process. Jim Knowles, the coordinator from Oklahoma State, has been brought in to fix this thing. But I'm just not totally sold that this defense flips overnight for Ohio State. Now, they certainly have the talent. They've recruited at a high level. Many of their best defensive players were some of their youngest guys last year. Their leading tackler, Ronnie Hickman, is back. Jack Sawyer, five-star, is back. So they have plenty of talent. I just don't know that you can expect them to go from really from, from just average to below average to good enough to actually win a national championship. But I guess that's why you hire the high-profile, well-paid defensive coordinator to figure that out. One other thing worth noting on Ohio State, I'm not comparing the schedule to like the SEC West and Alabama. I do think the schedule is probably a little tougher than people realize. Obviously, you play Michigan coming off a playoff appearance at home, Penn State and Michigan State on the road, also Wisconsin and Iowa at home, and that's on top of Notre Dame in the Ada Conference. So you talk about a bunch of teams that are ranked in the preseason top 25 or coming in with major expectations. Ohio State plays a lot of them this season. Let's keep it going. The five teams that I believe can win the national championship this year, and I believe it is only five. Number three, maybe you're not surprised. It is the Georgia Bulldogs. How about my dog? Now, I'm a little bit more down on Georgia coming into the year than most, and it's for the reasons that I've talked about on this show. I think it's easy to just label Stetson Bennett a national championship winning quarterback. I also remember all the way back to, oh, I don't know, eight months ago when everyone was saying during the playoff you had to bench him because he wasn't good enough to beat Alabama. And he was good in that championship game. He wasn't elite, though. He, he didn't put the team on his back. He was kind of who we thought he was. And the defense made a couple plays. And it's not to discredit Stetson Bennett, but remember, it was a pick six that sealed the win for Georgia in that national championship game. So Stetson Bennett is back. And I think he's kind of in that untouchable status where it's going to take a lot for somebody else to get that job from him. It, and when I say that, what I mean is I'm not saying somebody's going to beat him out in camp. It is his job. But if he really struggles... You're going to give him extra long leash because of what he did for you last year. Obviously, the defense is replacing a ton of talent as well. Historic draft haul last year. 15 total players drafted on Georgia, both offense and defense. Five first-rounders. Both of those are records. Five, well, no, no, I take that back. Five first-rounders off the defense is a record. But when I look at why Georgia can win it, I think what it comes down to is sort of what I just said, but not really. The bottom line is, no matter what you think about Georgia, how much they lost, is Stetson Bennett the guy? All the questions that I'm asking right now. The bottom line is, they still recruit at such a high level that they are going to replace that talent. I don't want to say no problem. I don't think they'll be historically great like last year on defense, but they're going to be really, really, really good. It's funny, I was looking through some stuff on uh, Tuesday before I recorded this segment, and here are the names you need to know on Georgia. This, again, after losing five first-round picks last year. Leader, Nolan Smith, former number one overall recruit in high school football. So when the baseline to start is Nolan Smith, former number one high school player in America. No, I'm not talking about the former Duke basketball player. I'm talking about the Georgia linebacker. When the baseline is that guy, as well as Keely Ringo, who is a projected top 10 pick at corner, and Jalen Carter, a projected first-round pick on the defensive line at linebacker, that's a pretty good starting point. Former number one recruit in America, rated ahead of Kayvon Thibodeau, who just went in the top 10, and he was in the news this week for sure. Uh, and then Keely Ringo, and when I say he's in the news, I'm not making light of his injury, but the conversation about it. Keely Ringo, Jalen Carter, two first-round. It's just insane how much the talent is there. And then I think keep in mind a couple other things with Georgia. One, Say what you want about Stetson Bennett, including what I just said. Is he really that guy? But he is a national championship winning quarterback, and, and nothing at this point in his career is going to phase him. The other thing that stands out to me about Georgia, the schedule is just very manageable in terms of what you need to do to make another run. Yes, they open against o o Oregon, excuse me. But first of all, we know who Oregon's quarterback is. It's Bo Nix. Good luck with that. The game is in Georgia. First year head coach, first time head coach. I know he came from the Georgia staff, Dan Lanning. I'm just not totally sold. Beyond, Georgia, beyond Oregon in the opener, though, what are the toughest games? Well, Tennessee, late in the season, you play them at home. Auburn, late in the season, you play them at home. Kentucky, you do have to go on the road for. 
But there is no Bama in the regular season. There is no A&M in the regular season. There is no LSU Ole Miss in the regular season. And so, first off, I, I've shared this stat, I think, once or twice. But since 2017, that first run to the title game where they lost to two in Alabama, every season where they have not played Alabama in the regular season, they've won at least 11 games. And so I'm looking at Georgia. I think in a worst-case scenario with the schedule that they have, I just think there's such a big gap between them and everybody else in the SEC. At worst, I think you're looking at going to the SEC title game 11-1, and playing Alabama to go to the playoff. Potentially, you're 12-0, and and in a scenario where even if you lose, you're in, much like last year. Not saying they're better than last year, but I'm just saying the schedule breaks right, and there is so much talent that I am just not worried about the Georgia Bulldogs. Let's get to number four on the list. And I'll say, when it comes to number four on this list, um, it's probably a team that I don't, I don't think a lot of other people are as high on as me, and I'm not really sure why. If you've listened to this show or my other shows or whatever, I really like the Oklahoma Sooners coming into this year, yet you look around, the over-under is basically 9.5. Baylor was picked to win the conference by the media. I don't get it. I don't see it. And I like Oklahoma a lot. And I think part of the reason why I like Oklahoma, I think the narrative on them going into the season is wrong. I think there's this belief that they uh, th- that Lincoln Riley leaves, the offense is going to fall off a cliff. I think there's this belief the defense is terrible because the defense is always terrible. And I think there's a belief that they just lost a lot of talent in the transfer portal. And what I would say to that is when it comes to the offense, I'm not sold it's going to miss a beat. I don't want to say it's not going to miss a beat. I do think it's going to look different. I think it's going to be very explosive, though, because remember who they brought in, Dylan Gabriel, the transfer from UCF. And if you haven't watched a ton of Central Florida games over the last couple of years, what I can tell you about Dylan Gabriel, the kid's phenomenal. And because he was so far off the radar, I don't think people realize just how good this guy was. Last year he was hurt, but the year before, playing for Josh Heupel, who's now the Tennessee head coach, 10 games played because of COVID. It was a shortened season. 32 touchdowns, 3,500 yards passing. Not great at math, but when you're averaging three and a half touchdown passes per game, 350 yards per game, you know what you're doing. Well, now he's at Oklahoma. He's going to have the best weapons around him that he's ever had. And remember, the Oklahoma offensive coordinator is Jeff Lebby, who came to Oklahoma from Ole Miss, but before Ole Miss, he was at Central Florida. See that little connection there? These two have worked together. Dylan Gabriel's going to an offense he's comfortable with. I think he's going to thrive there. Keep it going. The defense, oh, they stink, they're Oklahoma. Uh, Yeah, and they just got maybe the best defensive coordinator in college football, Brent Venables, to run that defense. I don't think they're going to be Georgia last year. I don't think they're going to be number one in the country. But if there's ever a time to make a leap, I do think it would be under Brent Venables this coming season. I just think they're going to be significantly better than they've been since, uh, you know, in a very long time. So I think they're going to be just as good on offense. I think they're going to be better on defense. And I will say the portal stuff, listen, I can't lie and say they didn't lose anybody to the portal. Caleb Williams is gone. I don't think the gap between Caleb Williams and Dylan Gabriel is as big as people think. Go ahead and look at uh, Caleb Williams' stats the last three games when he played good defenses in the regular season. Oklahoma State, Baylor, and Iowa State. Wasn't that great. And they lost some other pieces, but they brought a lot back too. Best running back, Eric Gray is back. Leading receiver, Marvin Mims is back. I like this Oklahoma team a lot. I don't mean to spoil my upcoming uh, college football playoff and national championship picks, but let's just say I like Oklahoma more than most. The final team that I think can win the national championship, these are teams that can win it, not get there, but win the two games needed to win a national championship on top of a regular season, on top of a conference championship game. I don't think it's going to happen. I do think the Clemson Tigers, though. And what's crazy about Clemson, and and like I have two kind of disparaging, disparaging, I don't know what the right word is. You, you, get, you know, the, you know two, two different thoughts on Clemson. On the one hand, like, they were disappointing last year. Like, like you can't sugarcoat it. They came in top five in the country, uh, did not win their division, did not play for an ACC title, did not go to the college football playoff, didn't even go to a New Year's Six bowl game. But then I look at it and think about everything that went wrong. DJ Uyelaganlele goes from projected Heisman Trophy, maybe not the favorite, but top two or three, to having a negative touchdown-to-interception ratio, nine touchdowns, 10 interceptions, with a 56% completion percentage. On top of that, they had 
all sorts of injuries, like historically bad run with injuries. Uh, they lost Will Shipley, their best running back, for several games. They lost Brian Brze, a first-round uh, NFL draft talent, for several games. And so you, you start to piece everything together, like everything that went wrong with Clemson. They still went 10-3, and three, and they still won 10 games in a season that all that stuff went bad. And so why I kind of sort of do like Clemson, but I'm not sure that I do, to win the national championship, everything that went wrong. Well, now think about this coming year. One, I don't think it can get any worse with injuries than last year. Beyond that, most of their key players are back. Brian Brze is back. Miles Murphy, the defensive lineman. I think both of those guys are going to be first-round picks this year. The defense is stacked. And on top of that, you have a real alternative at quarterback to DJ Uyla If that doesn't work out, Cade Klubnick, five-star quarterback from the state of Texas, is now at Clemson. And he is going to push DJ. And as I've said many times, Dabo Sweeney is saying all the right things about the quarterback race. DJ is our guy. But we have seen that Dabo Sweeney is not afraid to pull the trigger if he believes that there is a quarterback on his roster that gives him a better chance to win at the highest level, even if that quarterback is a freshman. I'm not comparing Cade Klubnick to, to Trevor Lawrence. But Clemson got to the playoff with Kelly Bryant, and Dabo Sweeney said, that's not good enough to win me a national championship. The guy that I have backing this guy up is, and he put Trevor Lawrence in week one. Or week four, excuse me, to uh, or week five, I guess it was, as the starter, and Clemson won the title that year. That's what's going to be interesting to me. I don't think Dabo's going to mess around. Trevor Lawrence got snaps early in that season. Trevor Lawrence was named the starter by week five. I think this is a thing to watch. Is DJ just the guy from day one, no matter what? Or if things start to go a little shaky, does Cade Klubnick get a series here? Does he get a series there? And then all of a sudden you wake up you wake up, and it's week six and Cade Klubnick's your permanent starter. But listen, the talent is there for Clemson. I will say the schedule is much tougher this year than in previous years. Uh, I think the ACC across the board is going to be a little bit better. They do play Miami this year. Miami's probably the second best team in that league. Uh, maybe NC State maybe the second best team in that league. Uh, Florida State is improved. And this is kind of crazy. You look at Clemson's schedule, this, this is wild to me. Four of their first five conference games are on the road. Now, technically, one of them is a pseudo-neutral site game. It's in Atlanta playing Georgia Tech, not in their road venue, not in their home venue. But it's a tough schedule. And so we're going to find out really quick with Clemson. I tend to think if everything breaks right, they're good enough to win a national championship. A couple teams I, I just don't see it with. Um, Utah, I think Utah's good enough to make the college football playoff. But are they good enough to win it? Are they, I, they're physical, they're tough, I get all that. Are they going to go on the field and beat Georgia in a semifinal and Alabama in a title game? Ohio State in a semifinal and Alabama in a title game? I just don't know that they have enough to win it. Texas A&M, I've said many times, I think is a year away. Michigan, Michigan's kind of the same, top 10 team. But last year, everything breaks right. They got some older players because of the extra year of eligibility with COVID. Win the Big Ten. Everything goes their way, still get destroyed by Georgia. Can again, can they go to the uh, college football playoff? They'd have to beat Ohio State to even get there. Can they then go to the playoff, beat Alabama and Clemson in back-to-back -back games, Clemson and Georgia, whoever those two teams may be? Notre Dame, I'm just a seller. I believe in Marcus Freeman, but, but really inexperienced at the quarterback position, first-year head coach. The schedule is much tougher. At Clemson, I didn't even mention that Notre Dame, or uh, Clemson at home didn't even mention that Notre Dame actually plays uh, Clemson this year when I was talking about how tough Clemson's schedule is. They also play Ohio State to open the season. That goes without saying, close the season at USC. Uh, yeah, I'd be a little bit worried if I was Notre Dame. I think they're probably a 9 3 ball club. Trust Marcus Freeman. Tough situation for him to walk into. I've told you before, I'm out on Baylor. I think they're just wildly overrated. Um, A&M, I think I might have just mentioned, I think they're a year away. USC, they're definitely at least a year away, maybe two. So those are my five teams that can win a national championship this year. Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, not in the right order. Let me do it in the right order. Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, Oklahoma, and Clemson. So what I do, take a quick break, come back, we'll discuss some weird news from this week. Oregon sort of had a meeting with the Big Ten, but who was there? I don't know. You're going to have to stay tuned to find out. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. I want to continue the conversation on college football, but I want to switch gears to what has quickly become our favorite daytime reality uh, soap opera. I like to call it As the Big Ten Turns. That's right, because ever since back on whatever it was, June 31st or June 30th or whatever it was, that we got the announcement that USC and UCLA were leaving the Pac-12 for the Big Ten. The next question that has never stopped becoming a topic of conversation, who's next? Who's going to the Big Ten? When is it going to happen? How is it going to go down? What is the next crazy round of expansion? And my stance on this has been pretty clear. Until Notre Dame does something, nothing is really going to happen. And Notre Dame, it appears now, is set to remain an independent with a new contract with NBC. Of course, that doesn't stop the rumors from swirling. And it doesn't stop, apparently, meetings from happening. Because on Monday, we got a report from Brett McMurphy from Action Network, well-respected college football insider. He said that. Drum roll, please. Oregon and the Big Ten had a little bit of an exploratory meeting in Chicago earlier this week. And so, of course, the second that happened, the internet went crazy. Here we go. It's the Michael Scott gif. It's happening. Realignment is coming. Everybody get ready. And this is especially on the heels of last week when Kevin Warren did an interview with Real Sports with Brian Gubble that actually might be airing like tonight or tomorrow or something where he said, oh, no, 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 expansion is very much a possibility in the future. So again, we had a Michael Scott gift situation. It's happening. We're going crazy. And I'm here to pour some water on the fire. Call me a wet blanket because I really think that, while I think Brett McMurphy is a well-respected reporter, I do think this report is honestly much ado about nothing. First of all, as I've said on this show many times, the devil is in the details. And it really only took one detail to figure out that this, uh, this conversation, this meeting, whatever you want to call it, 
really wasn't all that much of a, a deep dive into Oregon's potential for the Big Ten. Why is that? Well, Brett McMurphy did report that they met. But then he also cited another source, a second source, who confirmed that there was a meeting. But among the people who was not there, who were not there, were Oregon school president, Oregon's 80, and the commissioner of the Big Ten, Kevin Warren. So three of the most prominent people that would be involved in a conversation like this were not at the meeting, to which I ask, what the heck kind of meeting was this? To me, you know what this would be like? This would be like, I don't know, Tom. you get a report out that Tom Brady is getting set to join the Dallas Cowboys. And then you find out through the report that while they did have a meeting, Tom Brady wasn't there. His agent wasn't there, and Jerry Jones wasn't there. And you kind of sit there and say, well, who the heck was there, and why the heck is this report out? And so I'm not cri uh, criticizing Brett McMurphy's reporting. I'm just saying, what kind of meeting is it where the three biggest power players in this conversation would not be there? Or three of the biggest power players? Because that was the response that I got when I had the audacity to say, what kind of meeting doesn't involve the school president, the AD, and the Big Ten commissioner? The follow-up was naturally, uh, uh, Torres, you know that the school president and the AD are not the most powerful people in Oregon. The most powerful person in Oregon is Phil Knight, the founder of Nike. To which I'd say, like, yeah, you're right. Phil Knight is the most powerful person at Nike. But I'll be honest, I don't think Phil Knight has all that much sway in this whole Oregon to the Big Ten conversation. Why do I feel pretty confident saying that? Oh, I don't know. It is because we already got Big Ten expansion from the Pac-12, and Phil Knight was not involved in that conversation. As a matter of fact, the reports are that Phil Knight was blindsided by the news, much like everybody in Oregon was. And so if Phil Knight was that powerful, and Phil Knight is powerful, but if he was powerful in this specific conversation, why didn't he know about it? Why was he blindsided? And then the reports in the following days after, you read them just like I did that Oregon and Phil Knight was essentially calling and begging the Big Ten and Big Ten officials to let them in. He was willing to write checks that few people in the world would be able to write. So my question is, if, if, it's, if Phil Knight is so powerful in this specific situation, why is he acting like Aunt Becky, uh, Lori Laughlin, remember her when she was writing checks to get her daughter into USC? Well, why is Phil Knight trying to just write his way, write a check into the Big Ten if he's that powerful? If he's that powerful, he should be wanted. Oregon should be wanted. And so to me, it comes back down to all of the same conversations that we have had on this podcast. And so far, I've been right. Things are always subject to change. Expansion for the Big Ten does not make sense right now. You can argue with me. You can debate me. You can tell me I'm wrong, but it doesn't make sense. First of all, just from a logistical argument, it doesn't make sense because the Big Ten just spent years putting together this TV deal. They spent years working behind the scenes to get USC and UCLA lined up, to get the TV partners on board with this, and to get the most money possible for their TV contract with USC and UCLA. So you mean to tell me they spend years doing this, years orchestrating things behind the scenes, years getting USC and UCLA on board, months putting together the most lucrative TV deal in the history of college sports, and now they're just ready to blow it all up two weeks later. Again, if they wanted Oregon, Washington, Cal, Stanford, they would have just taken them in the first place. And it certainly doesn't make sense to add them at this particular moment when they just spent months getting this TV deal done. So, hey, oh, by the way, uh, we're, we're, we, we just spent four months putting together this TV deal. Let's blow it up in 10 seconds to get Oregon and a bunch of other Pac-12 teams involved. It doesn't make sense logistically. By the way, I saw something that, that, that there are escalators involved. There, there are escalators involved in every contract ever been written ever. Okay, that's one. Two, the only price dollar amount is Notre Dame. Notre Dame has a fixed price. If they join the Big Ten, the TV contract increases this much. And here is where I continue. I feel like I'm screaming at a wall and nobody is listening. What everybody has to understand 
and I know you guys and girls do because you listen to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, you're the smartest people going in college sports. You can go to that water cooler and sound smarter than anybody else. By the way, that's why I need to tell people about the show, neither here nor there. But why it doesn't make sense, besides the timing, fiscally it doesn't make sense at all. I don't mean physically like you're pumping weight at the, 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 you know, the, the gym. I'm talking about fiscally, financially, it doesn't make sense. And this is the part that no one understands. Everybody keeps saying, well, it's only a matter of time before this happens, before that happens, before... The only reason any expansion happens at all, ever, at the highest level... Now, maybe Conference USA has to add a team here or there. Maybe the, 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 the Mountain West has to add a team because they lost a team. But at the highest levels of college sports, in the SEC and the Big Ten, the only time you add teams is when they bring value when they add value to your TV contract. We heard last week in the meeting between UCLA and the state of California, they're trying to keep UCLA in the Pac-12, that USC alone brings about $9.5 million a year to the, t- to the TV contract of the Pac-12. UCLA is probably about half of that, $3.5-$4 million. And so again, I cannot emphasize this enough, you are only going to add teams that bring value to the existing TV contract. Right now, all 16 Big Ten schools, if you include UCLA and USC, all 16 teams are going to be making an average of $71 million a year per year as part of that $8 billion TV contract. I did the numbers. Not very hard. $8 billion divided by seven years comes out to like $1.14 billion a year. You divide that by 16 schools, that comes out to like $71 million a year. Now, I know it's going to increase over the course of the contract. I know the number you're going to get in year one isn't the same as the number in year eight. But I bring it up to say, just go ahead and do some back-of-the-envelope math, okay? So I did it, and I'm not great at math. But just if you add, let's say you add four teams, because I don't think Oregon's coming along. So you say you add Oregon, Washington, Cal, and Stanford. That seems to be the logical where everyone thinks this is going. I did the math. For teams to just stay at, to just stay at the $71 million that they're currently making, and for obviously for the four teams coming to make the same amount of money. Now, there's obviously a possibility that they would get uh, a prorated deal. They wouldn't get the same amount as the vested members of the Big Ten. But you're talking about a minimum of $280 million in a future TV contract just to get everybody back to even. So I'm not trying to get all mathematical on you here. But you're asking a network to take what amounts to fourth-tier games, probably all the West Coast games, all the teams that the Pac-12 can't get a TV deal right now because nobody wants them, and you're asking a network to pay for their fourth-tier TV games, you're asking them to pay $280 million. Besides the fact that that's crazy, that's just to get back to a baseline where if you're adding teams in the Big Ten the Ohio States and Michigans and Penn States that are actually making the money for the conference are making the same amount of money that they're making right now. So you need a new contract worth $280 million, an, an extra contract on what they just signed, $1.1 billion a year, $280 a year, just to make back what you're making now. So how much money are we talking about to actually make more money for everybody else? Because that's what it comes down to. I'm getting real mathematical on you here like uh, Confucius. I don't know who's a famous mathematician. But the point I'm trying to make is just to break even, you have to come up with a new TV contract that is astronomical. And that's to break even. And if you're Ohio State, if you're Michigan, if you're USC, you don't want to break even adding teams. You want to make significantly more money. You have to make significantly more money for this league for there to be value. So now you're talking again, I'm not going to throw out crazy numbers, but what? $350 $350 million, $400 million for anybody to make any sort of added money by adding you. By the way, I did the math on that one. A $350 million contract from some TV network, and maybe you get it. That only adds about $4 million a year to the existing deal per school. So now you're asking yourself, is it worth it to go from 71 to $75 million a year? Is it real? I, I, I'm getting off topic here. Maybe my numbers are off a little bit. But the n- amount of money you would need for everybody to make a significant increase, Oregon's not bringing that. Washington isn't bringing it. And oh, by the way, outside of that, Oregon is going to have the same issue when it comes to any conversation with the Pac-12 that they have, or with the Big Ten that they've always had. Academically, they're behind. I will tell you, because I've said it on this show many times, 
At least once, I know that. I had a conversation with somebody who knows these things. And what he told me, he said the academics really matter to the Big Ten. It's why USC and UCLA were interesting. It's why Oregon wasn't. And what, I, what this person told me was that if the Big Ten were to add one Pac-12 school, if they had a power ranking of the Pac-12 schools they'd be most interested in adding, Stanford would be ahead of Oregon. Has little to do with academics, everything to do with being an international university, great or little to do with athletics, everything to do with an international university, great academics. They're also great in all the other sports, by the way, too. But I'm on, my understanding is that in the pecking order of Big Ten teams, schools that the Big Ten wants, outside of Notre Dame, Stanford is number one ahead of Oregon. So to me, this is great for Twitter fodder, and I'm not questioning Brett McMurphy. If you get a scoop like this, you got to report it. But what does it actually mean? I really don't know. You know what I think it was, honestly? If Kevin Warren isn't there, if the school president and the AD weren't there, I think it was probably either Phil Knight or some other prominent boosters just making a phone call to somebody who's affiliated with the Big Ten. And by the way, when you have a preliminary conversation with the Big Ten, it doesn't necessarily mean you're sitting down with the commissioner or the associate commissioner. It could be somebody in the Big Ten office. It could be an AD from those univer- one of those universities. And to me, that's probably what this is. Listen, I- I'm not a rich guy. I'm far from it. But rich guys and girls get together all the time to talk about rich guy and girl stuff. And I'm sure somebody from Oregon, maybe Phil Knight, was in town and tried to just get some FaceTime with somebody over a lunch somewhere in Chicago. I don't think this has very much legs. Rich guy conversations happen all the time. Think about, I just used the Tom Brady reference. Think about the Tom Brady report about the Miami Dolphins a few weeks ago. There was like a casual, loose conversation between Tom Brady and one of the rich owners that went to Michigan. It never became anything because Tom Brady didn't become a a, a dolphin. He became a buck. And so I I just, I, I sit there and say that I get why this story looks juicy. And I get why people are adamant thinking that the next big thing is coming but I just don't see it. I just don't see Oregon at this moment in time. Things are always subject to change. But at this time, I don't think Oregon's a legitimate candidate to go to the Big Ten anytime soon. So what I'm going to do, take a quick break. I do want to come back, and I do want to discuss Quinn Ewers becoming the starting quarterback at Texas. Kind of a cool story, but because it's Texas, there's chaos, there's behind-the-scenes this, We're going to discuss all of that next. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. So good to be back. Do think I'm going to skip the Keontae Johnson conversation for today. And instead, we are going to get back to college football and wrap the show with, uh, because that's what it's that time of year. I mean, we're talking college football. All day, every day, pretty much on this Aaron Torres podcast from now at least until the middle of January, if not later. Where I want to go now, though, I want to switch gears and I want to talk about a team that, let's just be honest, is always fascinating in the college football landscape, and it is the Texas Longhorns. And for Texas fans, this isn't going to be a a, a bash Steve Sarkeesian segment for the next five, six, seven minutes. It's not what I'm about to do. I actually give Sark credit. Last year did not go well. We all know that. But he's done just about everything right since the offseason began. Hit the portal hard. Got all sorts of difference makers. And then, of course, on top of that, also is off to an incredible start in class of 2023. Headlined by Arch Manning, they're going to have a top five class, class at worst. It might be two, three, four in the country. I don't know where. I'm not a recruiting guru. But Steve Sarkeesian has done everything well. So this isn't going to be a Steve Sarkeesian bashing segment. But at some point, and why we're talking about Texas today, is because the offseason does bleed into something called the regular season, and at some point you got to play games. And the one thing that Texas had not done to this point was name its starting quarterback. Well, on Friday, in the least surprising news ever, Texas finally made that decision. And drumroll, please. Texas named, again, in a not surprising decision at all, Quinn Ewers, former five-star quarterback, former Ohio State commit from Texas, its starting quarterback. And if that's where the story ended, I'll be honest, probably won't even talk about it on today's show. But because it's Texas, it cannot be just naming a quarterback. 
because there are already internet rumors about whether Quinn Ewers was the best candidate for the job. There are already internet rumors about who may or may not have forced Steve Sarkeesian to give him the job. Steve Sarkeesian didn't help by, by announcing the decision in the weirdest way possible. And so what I want to do is break it all down, give you all the details, because it is typical drama at Texas. It does not get any better, and I'll kind of defend Steve Sarkeesian, but I'll also tell you why this is probably not a good sign for Texas. First of all, when I look at this story, I mean, I'm going to be honest, what I first look at, this is an all-time where Aaron was right. If you remember, quick backstory on Quinn Ewers, I just told you, was the number one high school quarterback in the class of 2022, committed to Texas, then decommitted towards the end of the Tom Herman era, ends up committing to Ohio State, and last summer announces right before the season that he's going to Ohio State because there are NIL opportunities that he just cannot pass up. And I don't really blame him. You know, if he, he thought that there were seven figures on the table, high school players in Texas can't make NIL money, and Quinn Ewers went to Ohio State. Didn't really play, ends up transferring, but where Aaron was right was the day he entered the transfer portal, I said, oh, he's going to Texas and he's going to be the starter week one. And people were like, no, it's, it's an open recruit. No. All I can tell you is I've been covering college sports for years, and there are times where you can read the tea leaves, and there are times where you know stuff is done way before it officially ever happens. And so when Quinn Ewers entered the portal, I said, there's only one answer. He's going to Texas. Steve Sarkeesian needs a splash this offseason. He needs to bring in somebody that can win the job, right? That, that, that can create excitement in the fan base. Quinn Ewers needs to go to a place where he knows he can win the job, whether he's actually the best quarterback or not, which we're going to get into in a second. It was a match made in heaven. He's from Texas. The NIL opportunities would be incredible. And of course, the hype of hey, potentially being the guy that leads Texas back was too much. And so I told you it would happen, and it did happen. Quinn Ewers was named the starting quarterback on Friday, I guess it was. But of course, if it was just about that, as I just said a minute ago, that, that we wouldn't be talking about it. But why it gets so interesting is all of the little message board fodder around it. So I'm going to give you the quick update on what may or may not be true about what happened with Quinn Ewers. The reports out of camp, were that Quinn Ewers was not the best quarterback. The reports out of camp were that because of NIL deals, Steve Sarkeesian was basically pressured into naming him the starting quarterback, whether he was the best quarterback or not. And I will say, Steve Sarkeesian did not help this process by making it the most clunky announcement in the history of announcements. Steve Sarkeesian had a press availability on Thursday and said, we're really close to naming a starter, but we're not totally sure yet. I'll let you know soon. And then on Friday, there was a player availability. The players finished talking, and the sports information director, not Steve Sarkeesian, comes out. The sports information director just basically says, yeah, Sark just wants you to know um, uh, uh, Quinn Ewers is our starting quarterback. And I've talked to reporters that were in the room that, were, that thought it was a joke. Like, like are you serious right now? Like, this, is, this is how it's getting done? So you add in the rumors that Hudson Card wasn't the best guy. You add in the rumors that, oh, by the way, Steve Sarkeesian was pressured into naming him the starting quarterback. You add in the clunky way Sark did it, and again, it just creates drama all over Texas. Now, let me defend Steve Sarkeesian for a second because, look, I, I don't, no one knows except for Steve Sarkeesian what exactly went into naming the starting quarterback and who was the best quarterback for the job. But I do believe there is a scenario where... Quinn Ewers might not have even been the best quarterback in fall camp and is still deserving of that starting quarterback job. And let me explain why. And by the way, I should mention, we don't do a ton of message board rumors on this show. I try to stick to facts. So let me try to focus on the facts, not what some guy that knows a guy that knows a guy is saying on a, on a Texas A&M message board or an Oklahoma message board. But let's talk about this Quinn Ewers thing. And let me explain why I think at least... You can explain away the idea that Quinn Ewers got the job, even if, believe it or not, he might not have been the best candidate in fall camp. One, we kind of saw what Hudson Card is last year, right? Wins the starting quarterback job, starts week one against Louisiana Lafayette. He's fine. 14 of 21, 224 yards, two touchdowns. But then in week two, he went to Arkansas, and Texas got steamrolled. He was terrible, and he got benched. Eight of 15 passing, 61 yards. That's 53% completion percentage, by the way. Not a very good average yards per, per completion. Zero touchdowns. And he got replaced by Casey Thompson. He was better. So it's not as though this is the first fall camp where he has been pretty good, and it didn't translate into the field last year. But I do think the other thing with Quinn Ewers that's worth noting 
is the idea that he has basically now missed like two years of football because he didn't play at Ohio State last year. I think he took three snaps total, two handoffs, and whatever. I can't remember. Maybe two snaps. I can't, I, I can't remember. He, he barely played on the field at Ohio State. So he didn't play last year. But it is worth noting for people who don't follow high school football religiously, and you know everyone's got jobs and stuff. I don't know, you know, why you would, but you know, his junior year for for Quinn Ewers, he was pretty hurt for most of that season. Now he came back, he put up pretty good stats, but it's really been three full years now since he last was a quarterback, like for a an extreme period of time, like for a full season. And so where I could see the scenario where Steve Sarkeesian says, we're giving him this job and there's no weird booster interference or anything like that, I could see the scenario where Steve Sarkeesian just says a couple things. I know what Hudson Card is. I know what he isn't. And it's no disrespect to the kid, but I just don't believe that his upside is what Quinn Ewers is. I also don't believe that his upside is what Quinn Ewers could be two months from now. And for Steve Sarkeesian, I'll say this. No one is judging Texas on their Alabama game in week two. Like, nobody. Like, like, like I, I've talked to Al, uh, Texas fans that are like, oh, we're going to get killed. We're going to get destroyed. So nobody's judging Texas on what happens against Alabama. What they're judging Texas on is this is the year that you're supposed to. You're supposed to beat Iowa State pretty convincingly. You're not supposed to get embarrassed against Kansas. You're supposed to beat Kansas State. And we're supposed to be 9-3 and three or 10-2 and two because we have the players, we have the recruiting classes, we now have the NIL support of this program. We need to be like 9-3. and three. And so that's where it gets interesting for me if you're Steve Sarkeesian. Now, I think he could have handled it better, but isn't that a scenario that makes sense where he says, look, it's not about whether Quinn Ewers is ready tomorrow. We know he's not beating Alabama week two. Now, he would never say that, but we all know it. It's about making sure that he's got the reps under his belt so that he can beat Kansas State and he can beat Iowa State and he can beat Baylor and he can beat the teams that you need to and that you're supposed to be to beat when you're Texas. So I can see the scenario, and I'll defend Steve Sarkeesian. I think there's a perfectly logical scenario why Quinn Ewers was named the starter even if he wasn't the better player in fall camp. But I also do think, man, I'm telling you, if you're one of those people that is just waiting for something to go wrong at Texas... This is a pretty good sign that stuff goes wrong at Texas more than most places. I mean, again, I talked about it, I think, maybe last week on the show. I can't even remember. But, but when I look at Texas, it's like, man, anytime they get a hint of momentum, something bad happens and they can't get out of their own way. And I'm not going to make light of injuries, but last week at fall camp, two starters went down to season-ending injuries. Now, injuries are going to happen to everybody. But for Texas, in one of the most hyped seasons in Texas football history in a long time, for them to lose two marquee starters right before the season, not ideal. So that's one. Two, you had a kid named Ajayi Hall, and I know Texas fans are going to get mad at me, but I'm going to say it. Basically, couldn't handle it at Alabama. Nick Saban basically makes him leave because there's off-the-field issues. Gets to Texas. And he gets arrested last week. And it it was a minor thing. He had a boot on his car. He parked in the wrong place. Whatever. But the point is, player that you knew had off-the-field issues gives you off-the-field headaches, whether it was really a big deal or not. And then finally, just the way this whole quarterback situation was handled. So I'm not saying that, you know, season-ending injuries and, like, all of these things all have to do with each other. But what I am saying is, at Texas, you just need any type of positive momentum you just and let me take it a step further you don't just need positive momentum you need to avoid negative storylines on the flip side and instead what happens at Texas you have a marquee player arrested you have injuries and now you have this weird starting quarterback battle where nobody totally believes that this kid was the best player Steve Sarkeesian presents it in a weird way the media isn't allowed to ask questions he says a day before we're close but we're not there yet well, what happened over a one day that made you change your mind, and why couldn't you come to the media and say it? So, again, this isn't a, bela- a belittle Steve Sarkeesian segment, but man, oh man, oh man. Like I said, if you're one of those people that believes that everything that could go wrong always does go wrong at Texas, this is just feeding into the fodder, and I'll be honest, it's just one weird storyline after another at Texas, and in a year where Oklahoma's going through a coaching change, basically in the, a regime change for the first time in forever. 
in a year where Baylor lost a ton off their Big 12 title team, in a year where Oklahoma State lost a ton off a 12-win team a year ago that won the Fiesta Bowl. My goodness, Texas. You can't, you can't even name a starting quarterback without creating drama. And with that said, I think that's it for this episode of the Aratora Sports Podcast. What a fun show, man. It is, you know, I, I can't speak for you guys and girls that listen to this show, but it does just feel like we are getting so close. It feels like the topics are getting better. It feels like the conversations are more, you know, fun and tangible and salient. And I, I just got to tell you, I cannot wait for what's ahead for this show for Aaron Torres Media, and for most importantly, for, for you guys as fans, because we got so much football coming up here over the next couple weeks. So with that said, I do think it is time for me to get out of here. Before I do, want to remind you guys and girls, please make sure to subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed to the show. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. I will be back on Friday, and I'm giving out my national championship picks, my college football playoff picks, my Heisman picks, and much, much, much more. That is all for today's show. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, you F-head. Unblock me, bruh. I'll be back on Friday. New episode of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. Enjoy, people. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.